Today we're going to be in Matthew and Mark, uh, a story that's probably going to sound familiar. There's some people who, Bible scholars will tell you that this probably was one event. We're going to split it into two because I think the details uh, suggest that it is actually two events. So a few weeks back, we were feeding of the 5,000. Today we're feeding of the And I think I'll show you some of the details of why I think they're two separate things. I think the feeding of the 5,000 was a separate event than the feeding of the 4,000. It happened with different people in different places. Um, some biblical scholars kind of blend them together. I don't think that's, that's accurate. I do think they're separate. So we're going to pick up the story. If you remember, if you were here last week, you remember Jesus is in Tyre and Sidon, which is an area uh, to the northwest of Jerusalem, an area that is predominantly Gentile, people who are non-Jewish. Now, most of Jesus' ministry, most of his ministry completely, uh, is going to be to Jewish people. But as you're going to see, Last week and this week, he's going to be ministering to some Gentile people, people who are, who are not like him, people who have very different beliefs and ideas and worship very different gods. But Jesus', Jesus outreach to the Gentiles is extremely important because one is going to set up Paul's outreach to the Gentiles. And for those of us who are Jewish, it's extremely important uh, because if it wasn't for Jesus reaching to the Gentile people, none of us would be a part of the kingdom. It would have stayed pretty much as a Jewish uh, sub-religion. I don't know what's going on with my microphone today. I think the cord's getting stuck or something. Matthew 15, chapter 7. So we begin in, in Matthew 15, it says this. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee, talking about Tyre and Sidon. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. So we're back now towards the area where Jesus, most of Jesus' ministry Actually, in the, De- the Decapolis, which is a re- that is largely Gentile as well. I'm going to change these batteries out and see if that's what's going on. I'll keep spares right here. Better one two. Being goofy. Along the Sea of Galilee. People were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well. And they praise the God of Israel. Here, healing. This isn't the. Better? Cord's probably coming loose or something. Okay. Try it. Okay. We'll use this microphone instead. 
So Jesus is healing in the region of the Decapolis, which is to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, a, a region that is largely Gentile. So he left a, a region that's Gentile, Sidon uh, and Tyre, to come to an area that is also largely Gentile in the Decapolis, which is important because up until this point in Jesus' ministry, it's largely been just to Jewish people. And we had that, that interaction with the, non, with, the, with, the, with the Gentile lady who wanted the healing of her daughter, and, and Jesus had told her that really his ministry was to the Jewish people. Here he's reaching out to Gentile people, and that's important. Let's look at the next section. It's going to talk about the same thing. Version in Mark, chapter 7, it says this. And Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. There are some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He had done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Interesting. Now, Jesus is going to do more of this here in the future, but this healing is unique in the fact that, for those of you who are germaphobes, it's kind of gross. So he puts his finger in the man's ear and then puts spit on his finger and then touches his tongue, which for anyone who doesn't like germs, you're going to be grossed out. Jesus is going to do this later on, too. He's going to make like this mud out of his own spit. Just, the whole, don't get distracted by how it happens, right? Um, now, remember, Jesus is in a Gentile area. And so what's probably happening, we don't know for sure, but what's probably happening is these people are used to, to what we would refer to as magicians, people who will heal, heal people without actually healing them. If you've ever turned on and watched uh, Benny Hinn on TV, where the people like roll around on the floor and he touches them, and they all, right, that's all fake. It's all pretend. He hires actors and actresses. They come like they, they're in a wheelchair, and then he touches them, and they all magically start getting up and running around and dancing around. That's right, all pretend. It's all fake. Um, he's a faith healer, allegedly, right? Well, how come he's never been to a hospital? If you're a faith healer, man, there's hospitals all over the place you can go heal at. He doesn't do that because why? Because it's not real. It's in a way to get to trick people into sending him money so he can fly around the, the world in a fancy jet, which is what Benny Hinn does, by the way. Just remember, someday that man has to stand before God and answer for it. That's, that's, he's got to do that. Jesus is in a region in which Gentile people use, like, if we would refer to them as magicians, and they'll generally do all kinds of fun things, and then they have this long incantation they chant, and then they heal the person. And so what I, what I think is happening is Jesus is kind of entering into that part of the story and going, watch this. You've watched lots of people do lots of really goofy things to heal people, and they've never actually been healed. Watch what I can do with a little spit. Now, believe it or not, in the ancient world, spit was thought of to have some healing properties to it. Um, it's kind of about, about the same healing properties of when, when our kids fall and we tell them to rub a little dirt into it, right? It's like that heals about the same. And so Jesus heals this man in a very unique way, but I think it's because of where they are. 
think he's healing him on purpose this way to say, you've seen it done like this in the past, but it wasn't actually done. No one was actually healed from it. I'm going to do it right in front of your eyes, and you're going to watch someone be made well again. Watch someone be made whole again, which is the, the business that Jesus is in, is making people whole again. Whether those wounds have been caused or we've been born with them, whether it's blindness, deafness, whether it's a broken heart, whether it's abuse that we've suffered, whatever the thing is that is causing us to be unwhole, Jesus loves to make people whole again. Notice that Jesus takes him aside in verse 33 from the crowd to do it in private. Jesus isn't there to be a spectacle. And we've seen that up until this point of the gospel story is that for some people, Jesus is just someone to entertain them. Someone to, to bring them entertainment for a little while as he heals and then they go about their business. That's not the mission of Jesus is to entertain. The reason he brings healing with him is to declare to the world that he is the Messiah. That he is the Son of God. We sometimes mix those things up and we, put the, we make a big deal out of the, mir- the miracles of Jesus without understanding that the only reason he does those miracles is to show who he is to this world. It's to show to the world that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's why he heals this man like he heals everybody else. So we have a man here in the Decapolis along the Sea of Galilee who who needs a touch from Jesus like we all do. And so Jesus does that in a unique, maybe weird way for some of us, kind of a gross way, but he does that. Puts his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. Looked up to the heaven with a deep sigh and said, be opened. And at this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak plainly. Now Jesus is going to try what he's tried in the past, we've seen, trying to keep it a secret. The problem is, when you do amazing things, it's hard to keep that a secret. So look what Jesus asks of him the end of this passage. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But, which I think we've all realized, and I should have brought the whiteboard up for this one, when you say something, say it's a compliment, you tell someone they look nice, and then you say the word but afterwards, what did you do to the first part of your sentence? You might as well erase it, right? Like, hey, you're a really nice person, but you didn't actually mean that they were a nice person. You look really nice in that sweater, but in this occasion, Jesus commands them, asks them to not tell anyone. And then we have that word, but. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. It's not working. Now, put yourself in their shoes and you just watch this happen. It's going to be hard not to talk about that. So I understand it. I understand it. It's hard to not talk about something amazing when you see it. It's happened to you probably. Something happened throughout the course of your day and you couldn't wait to tell someone, call some. We have the benefit of a, a phone. You can call or text. But something exciting happens throughout the course of your day and there's somebody, maybe your spouse, somebody you want to talk to, a friend, a 
a child, you want to tell them how excited you are about it. Imagine witnessing what they just witnessed and being told, yeah, but now you can't say anything to anyone. It's going to be hard to do. And so they're unable to keep the secret, and so they kept on talking about it. But it leads to amazement. Verse 37. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. He sure does. He always has and he always will. Now we go to the next section, back to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 15. And here we get to this feeding of the 4,000. This is how this part of the story goes. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for, those, for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. If this was my family, first of all, three hours and they'll be hungry and collapse on the way home. About three days. Literally, they can't, they, 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 Stacy has a bag of food with her. Probably right now, actually, if you're hungry, she probably has a granola bar with her. Or two, my family can't go three hours without eating. So three days, and you wouldn't want to be around my kids. You wouldn't want to talk to them. You couldn't talk to them. They'd be, yeah. Three days, right? And they, brought, they ate whatever they brought with them, but they've been out there listening to Jesus for three days. Remember the last passage we looked at where the people were in amazement at this Jesus? Boy, are they. That they, have, they can't get enough of him. And so some of these people have been there for three days listening to him, probably asking questions, engaging him in a conversation. Now, it's ironic because think about what's going on with Jesus' ministry back in the area that is predominantly Jewish. It keeps getting more and more hostile, doesn't it? Every time we, we, we move forward in the gospel series, what we're seeing from the people who should be getting what Jesus is giving is hostility towards him. The Pharisees are literally plotting his death. Or they've been plotting his death for a while. And here Jesus is in a region in which people should be rejecting him. They have lots of other gods and goddesses that they worship. They should be sending him away, wanting nothing to do with him. And for three days, they tell us, they are there listening to him. And watching him heal. Just the business that God is in is God loves to surprise us sometimes, doesn't he? The people who should be all in with Jesus are not. And the people who should be sending him away and not listening to a word he says can't get enough. They can't get enough. Jesus tells his disciples that he has compassion for these people. They've been out here for three days in the middle of nowhere, listening to Jesus talk, teach, and heal. He has no desire to send them away hungry because they literally might collapse on the way home. Remember, they're walking home. They're not getting in the car or calling an Uber. They're walking home. His disciples answer him, and people criticize the disciples' answer right now, but I, I don't think it's fair. Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? Now, for those of us who hear that, we go, wait a second, you all have witnessed Jesus feed 5,000 people not that long ago with next to nothing. But I think it's important that we remember that Jesus doesn't use his powers for convenience. So Jesus doesn't just heal people just because. Jesus doesn't feed a group of people just because he can. Right? It's not like, oh, I'm really tired. Let's, instead of going to McDonald's today, let's just feed all these people here. Jesus uses his miracles for a very specific purpose. So I want to remind you that when we saw, we read from the feeding of the 5,000, they started with five loaves 
and two fish, right? And they ended up with, the story tells it, with 12 basketfuls. Just keep that in mind. So they started with five loaves and two fish, and they had 12 basketfuls. Look how this story is going to go. Jesus asked them, after they say, Jesus, how are we going to feed these people? There's, there's nowhere to go. We can't go buy the food. He asked them a simple question. How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Their reply is seven. And a few small fish. So we have more. We start with more than we did when he fed the 5,000. There we had five loaves of bread and two fish. Here we have seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish. And when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples. And they in turn to the people. Sounds familiar, right? This is the same story we've heard before. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 men besides women and children. Different area, different group of people. The same result happens. Jesus feeds them. But I do think it's important that we realize, and we pay attention to the details here, that Jesus is doing something very very particular. So like I told you earlier, in the feeding of the 5,000, there was five, they started with five loaves, two fish, ended up with 12 basketfuls. Now that was, that miracle was done. A little, a little further north and west of this miracle in an area that is largely Jewish. And so you think about that. We, he, he performs the feeding of the 5,000 amongst Jewish people, and there's 12 basketfuls left over. That number... For Jewish people is important. Why? How many tribes were there of Israel? There were 12 tribes. This time, we're, we're, we're doing the same miracle in a largely Gentile area of the world, and there's seven basketfuls left over. Let me read to you something that I think might be important in this story out of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 7, beginning in verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Gergesites, Amorites, Canaanites, Preservites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Drive, they're told that, they will drive, that the, the God will drive out for them seven nations. And those nations are listed. Those nations are Gentiles. Where's Jesus when he performs this miracle? Amongst Gentiles. And how many basketfuls of bread do we have left over? Jesus is telling us that he has come, yes, to Jewish people for sure, but also to the nations. You heard the words in Deuteronomy, seven nations larger and stronger than you. I don't think 12 basketfuls of bread and seven basketfuls of bread are a coincidence. I think Jesus is making a very clear statement with this feeding of the 4,000 in the region of the Decapolis that the message of God is open to everyone. That the promise God gave to Abraham a long time before, that he would be a father of a nation, and that nation would bless the world, that was the hope, that was the dream, is coming true in the person of Jesus. 
that yes, Jesus was sent first and foremost to his own people, but he was not going to stop there. He came for us all. And that's good news for all of us, isn't it? Here's Mark's version of the same story. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because of some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Jesus asked the same question. How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. Jesus is here for us all, it turns out. And you're going to see that here in the weeks to come as Jesus is going to take his disciples to places that they are going to be very uncomfortable. We are working our way to a trip to Caesarea Philippi that will make his disciples extremely uncomfortable. Because remember what the Pharisees have taught, that we don't spend time around Gentile people. We don't come in contact with them. We don't touch the same things they touch. We don't eat with those people. And Jesus is, is bucking them, those customs, throwing them aside and saying, these people matter to our God too. They matter. The Apostle Paul, of course, is going to run with this. The Apostle Peter as well. And the, and the ministry that we're going to see them have to Gentile people is going to grow the Christian faith like nothing else could. But here, we think Jesus is opening the door to everyone, for all of us. But the criteria of belonging to the kingdom of God is simple. Whom have we placed our faith in? If the answer is Jesus, the door is open to us all. But that's it. That's the qualifier. But have we put our hope, our faith, and our trust in Jesus? Do we believe he's enough? Do we believe he is who he says he is? If the answer is yes, that's the most important thing any of us have ever done, is say yes to this Jesus. No matter where we come from, the language we speak, the color of our skin, what we believed and thought and did before, it's in Jesus that we find our hope. It's in him that we move Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for a story. A story, God, that we've similar, sounds similar to us because we've already read about, studied, and wrestled with of Jesus feeding the 5,000. But here, once again, we realize that Jesus is up to something even bigger than just putting food in people's bellies, God. There's a more important thing that he is doing than just giving them a meal. Because we know that Jesus is, in fact, the bread of life. He is our substance. He is how we get through every single day. So, Father, we're so thankful for the story, especially us here, God, who, who are not Jewish people by birth or blood, that Jesus was willing to go to those who many people in his sphere of influence 
would have never gone to. We're thankful that he was willing to stay amongst them, to heal, to perform the same miracles he performed for his own people, amongst people who were not like him yet. Opening the door for us all. Are we thankful for those faithful followers of his that came after Jesus that were willing to take this good news, this gospel message to people all around the world? When we pause and think about how far this message has come, the thousands of years it has endured, God, we're humbled by all that you have done. And we ask, God, that you help us to continue to take your message and your hope to a world that needs it more and more every day. A world that needs hope, God. And I hope it's found only in you. And so, God, we thank you for all that you do for us. The substance you give us every day. But we are most thankful, God, for your son, Jesus, who was faithful to the mission of death on a cross. The painful and shameful way of dying, God. He did it not for his own benefit, but for ours. And God, we're thankful also that three days later, you brought him back to life, giving us hope and a future that we find only in you. So God, we thank you and we love you. We pray all this in the powerful and holy name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said. Amen.